Hi, Online Church family. I'm so glad that you could meet with us here. We're about to go into a preach that I delivered recently, and I really hope this blesses you, it inspires you, it takes you further in your walk with God. That's my heart for you as you watch this. And if it really does bless you, why don't you go ahead and share it with someone who you think needs to hear it? Uh, make sure you click like and subscribe so you don't miss any of our messages here that we upload weekly. And um, jump in the chat so we can connect with you as well so you're not a stranger. So sit back and enjoy. I hope that you get blessed. And as we move into the Word of God, I wanted to share out of a story out of our family. Uh, when my son Judah was born. Now, Judah is now almost 11 years old. So this happened 11 years ago. Judah is our third. We had Maya and Layla and then Judah. And uh, when Judah was born, he was the most blissful child. I want to tell you, he was born in July. And that first night in the hospital, he slept through the night. And he has slept through the night every night since then. Now, if you don't know, this is not normal for babies. This is not normal, but he slept through the night and he has been the best sleeper. And my Judah, my sweet, calm, relaxed Judah, I don't think he made a sound until he was about three years old. He was just so chill, so laid back. He would just go along with the flow. I honestly don't think he made a sound until he was about three. And then all of a sudden he turned three and he started talking a lot. And he talked a lot about Transformers. And I thought, how on earth do you know about Transformers? And why do I need to know about Transformers? And all he ever talked about, his little voice from the back seat in the car, all about, did you know that Optimus Prime? And did you know that Bumblebee? And the other names that I don't know and the things I don't know about. And I just, he just didn't stop talking. But Judah, he's just so chill and he was blissful and his two older sisters were besotted with him when he was a baby. He was actually at risk of death by suffocation because if I ever turned my back, they were all over him. I had to teach them about personal space. And I actually have photos of Layla so close to him. <laughs> and so he was just, this, it was an amazing time in our family. But by the time he was nine weeks old, nine weeks old, not months, or years, by the time he was nine weeks old, I had to rush him to emergency twice. Maya had tonsillitis and an ear infection, and then she developed an allergy to the antibiotics and broke out in hives. After recovering from the tonsillitis and ear infection and the antibiotics allergy, she contracted hand, foot, and mouth virus, and then she passed it on to Layla, and Layla's blisters were so bad that they lasted four weeks. I was rushed to hospital, and three weeks after all of that, no, sorry, three weeks, yeah, after that, we had three weeks of head lice treatment. Yep. And Sam almost booked himself in for a series of professional counseling sessions. It was one of those seasons. And so today, I actually want to talk to you about catching viruses. Too soon? I want to talk to you about catching viruses. Have you ever considered what you might catch from the people around you? Or what you're passing on to the people around you? 
Have you ever stopped to think about there's more contagions in our world than just bugs in our biology? That we catch things all the time and we pass things on all the time. And so today I want to talk about how to catch a virus. Because we know from the last three years that mostly it's completely out of our control. No matter what Auntie Anastasia tells you, there's very little that you can do about catching or not catching a virus. We can do many things, that is for sure, and we should be diligent. But for the most part, it's completely out of our control, whether we catch it or not, whether we pass it on or not. And so I want to talk today about what is it that we're catching, but more importantly, what is it that we're transmitting? I want to read to you a little excerpt out of a book by Francine Rivers called The Sons of Encouragement. Give me a wave if you've read any of Francine Rivers' books. She's an amazing, amazing writer. And so in the Sons of Encouragement book, one of the characters she writes about is Silas. And we know Silas from the New Testament. Silas was a scribe and a Pharisee. And what that means is that he knew a lot of stuff about the law of God, and he also wrote about those things. But he was not a follower of Jesus while Jesus was on the earth. In fact, he was resistant to the move that Jesus was leading until after Jesus died and rose again and went to heaven when he did get saved and he became a scribe. And when we say most of the New Testament is written by Paul, it was, but it was in Silas's hand. So Silas was in prison with Paul when Paul wrote the book. Paul didn't physically write the book. Paul dictated the book. Silas wrote it. And so we see that all these books that um, apparently Paul wrote, um, he also traveled with Peter. He actually penned the books that Paul wrote. And so we see him also possibly during um, the training of Timothy, when Paul trained Timothy, he traveled with Paul and Peter. He was present everywhere in the New Testament when we read the New Testament. And so here she's writing in a novel type form about Silas's perspective when Jesus was on the earth, before he was a follower of Jesus. And this is what it says. The crowd in Capernaum felt bigger than I had seen at the temple, than any I had seen at the temple, except during the Passover celebration, when Jews came from all over, even as far as Egypt and Rome. The people I found in Capernaum that day frightened me. They were wretched, a blind man in rags, destitute widows, mothers holding crying children, cripples, people dragging stretchers on which lay their sick relatives or friends, lepers and outcasts, all calling out and trying to push forward to get closer to Jesus. Of course, I had seen many poor and sick begging on the temple steps and often had given them money, but I'd never seen so many. They filled the streets and spilled down the shoreline to the Sea of Galilee. Jesus, someone called out. Jesus is coming. Everyone began to call out to him all at once. The sound of anguished, pleading, hopeful voices was deafening. My father's sick. My brother's dying. I'm blind. Heal me. Heal me. Help me, Jesus. My sister is demon-possessed. Jesus, Jesus. I stood up, but I couldn't see over the people. Hauling myself onto a wall, I stood precariously balanced, desperate to see this man. So many called a prophet, and some even said was the Messiah. My heart raced with excitement as I caught 
their fever of hope. My heart raced with excitement as I caught their fever of hope. Could it be said of those outside these walls, my heart leapt with excitement as I got caught up in their fever of hope. If there's one thing COVID has taught me, it's that no one is immune to fear. People are lining up, doing whatever they're told out of fear. No one's immune to it. It's crazy. But what I've also known is that no one's immune to hope either. And hope is also contagious. And if there's one thing that breaks my heart at the moment, as a passionate, fiery leader who cannot contain what Jesus has done in her life, it's the degeneration of hope and vision in our generation. I am brokenhearted at the lack of hope right now. But you know what, my friend? You and I, we know who hope is. Hope has a name. His name is Jesus. Could it be said out there of City Point Church, I got caught up in their fever of hope. That absolutely is essential today. It is essential today. The fever of hope. The fact that Jesus can heal your trauma. The fact that Jesus can heal your body. The fact that Jesus can set you free. The fact that Jesus can liberate you. The fact that you don't ever anymore have to look in all the wrong places for what you're searching for. Could you transmit a fever of hope to a generation that is starving and dying and gripped with the fever of fear? Could that be you and me? Could Silas be precariously perched on a wall looking for this Jesus that you're going on about? Hope. I want to talk about catching the fever of hope. Catching the fever of hope. So there's three things needed for a virus. Now, I'm not a doctor, but I've just noticed that in order for me to catch a virus, I need to be in proximity with the person who has the virus. I just need to be in proximity. And if someone's going to catch what I've got, they've got to be in proximity with me. And contagions are no respecter of persons. I don't know who's going to catch what I have. We've seen that in COVID. Family members who go into isolation and three out of five people get it. Uh, it's like that in church. Often, 30% get it. I'll just let that settle. In Luke 10:2, Jesus said to them, the harvest is abundant. There is much, say much, much ripe grain, but the farmhands are few. There's a lot of people ready to catch it. There just aren't a lot of people carrying it. The harvest is ready, but the labor is a few. 
And our job is not to make the fruit ripe because the fruit's already ripe. Our job is to go to, to be in proximity with the ripe harvest. Think for a moment about that person in your life who got into your world and shared Jesus with you. That person who took time. Josh, can you jump up on the stage with me? There we go, long legs. Oh my gosh, that's like a... (laughs) I would need an abseiling harness. He just kind of... (laughs) So that workplace that you're in has people who are ripe in it. They may not look ripe. They may be difficult. Josh may even annoy me in my workplace. Do you reckon you would? Probably. (laughs) And so I'm in proximity because he's in my workplace. Now we believe in a sovereign God who has divine plans for every single one of his creation who he loves dearly. Josh is one of his creations who he loves dearly. And God has placed me in the same workplace as Josh. So I can be in proximity with Josh, but completely disengaged from him. Because proximity in the kingdom is not just about space and location. Proximity in the kingdom is a proximity of heart. And so it's not until I actually look at Josh and see him the way Jesus sees him, that I forget about myself and I understand I'm in this workplace on purpose, divine purpose, for a divine purpose, and this is it. This is why I'm in the workplace, for this guy. And so I suddenly start asking him because I see him about himself, and I find out he's got a young wife and a brand new baby that they've just bought a house. I start finding out about him, and I start loving him because I see him. Now I have proximity of heart. Now I'm being the hands and feet of Jesus. Now I understand why I'm even there for him. It's a proximity of heart. Thank you, Josh. He's going to take the stairs. (laughs) And so it's a proximity of heart, not just space, that we would be engaged and involved in people's worlds because we understand we understand the heart of God the heart of Christ for each person no matter how prickly and difficult they might may be no matter how resistant they may be I guarantee you that the more difficult the person is the more trauma in their heart the more they need you that's why we're there The proximity has to be there. Secondly, for a virus to take hold, there actually has to be a transmission. Like they have to catch it. It has to be exchanged. There has to be a transition, transmission. So, you know, we hear about airborne viruses. We hear about viruses that are by touch, how they're transferred. I want to tell you the way that hope is transferred is through your word and deed. That is the airborne nature of the fever of hope, your word and your deed. That's how people are going to catch it. That's what the contagions ride on is your word and your deed. What is it that comes out of your mouth? How is it that you speak? 
Proverbs 13 says, Careful words make for a careful life. Careless talk may ruin everything. A good person hates false talk. A bad person wallows in gibberish. Irresponsible talk makes a real mess of things, but a reliable reporter is a healing presence. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Out of the fullness of your heart, your mouth will speak. What is coming out of your mouth? Because if your mouth is filled, if your heart is filled with the things of God, hope is going to come out of your mouth. Hope is going to come out of your mouth. I want to ask you, what sort of talk are you drawn to? What kind of talk do you attract? How do people speak when they're around you? A good indicator of the condition of your own heart is how people speak when they're around you. If people gossip when they're around you, if people are negative when they're around you, if people come to you to complain, these are not good signs about the condition of your heart. If it's acceptable, if it's known to be acceptable by the people around you that you will tolerate gossip, that's not a good thing. If it's known, if you know everybody in your workplace who's unhappy and all the details as to why they're unhappy, that's not a good thing. You have become the go-to person for that kind of conversation. I thought it was quite interesting many years ago when something happened on staff and Sam and I were like sidelined, but like we were just like, whoa, didn't see it coming. And then we were equally shocked that everyone else knew about it. And we didn't. And then I took a step back and I thought, I'm actually really glad that I didn't know anything about that, that I wasn't involved in those conversations that I wasn't the go-to person. We need to be very careful in this day and age what is acceptable in our presence and what is not. Who we are known to be. Now we do need to be sensitive. Yes, people hurt and they do need a place to go to, but we need to be careful that we're not creating a culture around our lives where that's okay and normal and promoted and celebrated. Let me show you why. In the book of Numbers in the 13th chapter, You know this because I preach at every second message about the spies who go into the land. Moses sends the spies in to scout out the land that God has said, it's yours. It's yours. Go and check it out. And they come back like as if they were assessing whether it was theirs or not after God had already said it was theirs. And so 12 of them come back and 10 of them are like, we can't take it. There's giants in there. It's terrible. Two of them, Caleb and Joshua, say, no, we definitely can take it. It's God's, God's promise to us. And, and there's this conflict between the 10 and the 2. And here in Numbers 14 are possibly, in my opinion, the saddest words in the whole of Scripture. The whole community was in uproar, wailing all night. All the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the entire community was in on it. Why didn't we die in Egypt or in this wilderness? Why has God brought us into this country to kill us? Our wives and our children are about to become plunder. Why don't we head back to Egypt right now? Soon they were all saying to one another, here it is. Let's pick a new leader. Let's head back to Egypt. Oh my goodness. Can I tell you, there will always be someone who is willing to take you back to your dysfunction. 
There'll always be someone you can go to who will stroke your dysfunction and keep you where you're at. There might always also be someone who helps you set up in the desert. Just stay here. At least it's not Egypt. I never want to be that person. I never want to be the person that people come to to stay in their bondage. I always want to be the person that is known to take people into their future. I always want to be the person who will challenge us beyond our dysfunction. Always who's going to take us into the promises of God. No matter how many of the others are saying it can't be done, I want to be the one. Hey, you know what? Even if it's just me and Joshua, we're going to take this land because God said we will take this land. And that's what we have to be. What is the language we're speaking? What is the language we're speaking? Regardless of how many negative reports there are, the language of heaven is faith, hope, and love. The language of the redeemed is victory and triumph and promise and overcoming. Hope has a name. His name is Jesus, and he achieved everything we need. Our lives need to shout so loudly. We need to shout with our lives so that the world is catching what we've got. And the message we're sending is simply this. If he did it for me, he can certainly do it for you. I am not special. If he did it for me, he can do it for you. He healed me. He rescued me. He restored me. He loved me. He pulled me out of my pit. He pulled me out of my mess. I'm not special. And so he can do it for you. The Apostle Paul said it like this when he was training Timothy. I'm so grateful to Jesus Christ for making me adequate to do this work. He went out on a limb, you know, trusting me with this ministry. He went out on a limb, you know, trusting you with the call on your life. The only credentials I brought to it were violence and witch hunts and arrogance, but I was treated mercifully because I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know who I was doing it against. Grace mixed with faith and love poured over me and into me all because of Jesus. Here's a word you can take to heart and depend on. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. I'm proof, public sinner number one, someone who could never have made it apart from sheer mercy. And now he shows me off, evidence of his endless patience to those who are right on the edge of trusting him forever. If he did it for me, he can do it for you. And that's our message. And so it goes on our words, on our deeds. And then finally, when you catch a fever, you show symptoms. If you catch measles, you're going to have red spots. When you catch something, you show the symptoms. And so it's the same thing with the fever of hope, if I could have the band back. Proximity leads to transmission, and transmission leads to the fever taking effect, which means we show symptoms. Mark 16, Jesus said this, Signs and wonders follow those who believe. Signs and wonders follow those who believe. There are symptoms. It is evident when you believe because 
it shows. There's no such thing as keeping this private. There's no such thing as keeping this secret. Signs and wonders follow those who believe. If signs and wonders are not following those who believe, then we need to figure out where the missing link is. We need to go to God and say, where is that link in my life that's causing this shortfall? Signs and wonders follow those who believe. And then it goes on, and the disciples went everywhere they preached and the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. It's not just a mental assent. We can't just say, yes, I believe God can, but. But should never follow that statement. Yes, I believe God can, but should never be put together, ever. Yes, I believe God can and He will. Full stop, full stop. There are too many of us who say, but, but this, but that. God doesn't need you to justify things, okay? He's big enough to take care of his own testimony and his own glory. He just needs you to believe what he said. And he said, I've come to heal. I've come to give life and life more abundantly. I've come to make right everything that was wrong. Yes, I believe God can and he will. Full stop. Full stop. He can and He will. And do you know what? Passion is one of our attitudes at City Point Church. Passion. When you catch it, it shows. Our senior pastor says that passion is the great persuader. Passion is evidence of our pursuit. You know, there are many people who walk into the atmosphere of God and they stand there with their arms folded. And then there are others who just pour themselves out before Jesus because they've been touched by Him and they're not holding any of it back. And they're thankful and they're grateful and they're transformed. That's what it takes. We look at the Apostle Paul as we read, chief sinner number one. Why was he chief sinner number one? Because he was murdering Christians. I don't know if anyone here has done that recently. Pretty sure you're off the hook. And he's riding the Damascus Road on mission to kill more Christians. And the Spirit of God knocks him off his horse and he falls to the ground and he's blind and he says, who are you, Lord? And the voice of Jesus says to him, I'm the one you've been ignoring and persecuting and resisting. And he says, what do you want me to do, God? I want you to go and I want you to spend some time in isolation and be filled with my spirit. And he was never the same again. Never the same again. Never the same again. Completely transformed. And then we know he wrote most of the New Testament. You can't keep this to yourself. You give away everything for the pearl of great price. And others need to know, you have to know what Jesus has done for me. You have to know because it will help you. Because you're searching, because you're hungry, because you're broken. Because you have trauma, because you have hurt. Let me tell you about who can heal you. And so Paul was transformed completely. And he shared it with others. You know, I want to say 
that if your gospel isn't impacting others, it hasn't actually impacted you. There's this encounter, I've had many of these, but this one young woman was referred by a friend to, to me to spend time with her. Early 20s and she was pregnant and she came from trauma and she was very hardened, very staunch. <laughs> and she agreed to meet with me every Sunday before the service. And so we would sit and I would try to break through her hard demeanor with conversation. And she would literally sit there with her arms folded, her legs crossed and tilted away from me. And she would just be like, yes and no answers. It was really hard, hard conversation. But somehow she kept turning up. She kept turning up. It was yes and no answers. And and then we'd go and sit in the service. I remember one time she's like, wow, we talked about a lot today. I was like, (laughs) okay. But this one time we met in private and um, I watched her change in one meeting. I watched her weep with honestly a pool of tears on the lino floor at her feet. I watched everything fall off her life and she wept and the Spirit of God transformed her in a moment, in a moment, completely transformed. At the end of that session, she, we stood up and she threw her arms around me. Completely different person. A few weeks later, <laughs> 30 days later, I married her and her partner. They've had more children. She's in God many years later. She was completely transformed. I want to tell you, when you encounter the Spirit of God, you are never the same. You are never the same because the symptoms show. The symptoms show. The fever of hope. 